All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Um, I actually have like a, a, a person I just met maybe like two weeks ago on Facebook Messenger, but he's really good friends with, uh, uh, you know, like a role model for me, Paul Check, that helped me find my health like a little while back. And I wanted to invite him to be on, uh, on the show today to talk about, uh, you know, something that's going to affect like the bulk majority of people on the planet these days, and that's cancer. I think, I don't know the stats for sure, but I think last time I checked, at least in the U.S., 40 to 45% of people will develop cancer in their lifetime, and then about uh, maybe half of those people will die from it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about one in two now today. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty steep. And obviously, we have um, COVID-19 going around as well. And uh, last time I checked, uh, the death rate for that was like 0.0019. And a lot of people are obviously uh, being hysterical about that, which is okay. You know, you should take safety precautions for that as well. But it's important to also see uh, things in perspective. So if like, on the one hand, you have a 25% chance of dying from this one thing, but no one seems to be changing uh, or being as passionate about changing their lifestyle and nutrition factors that lead to the bulk majority of those deaths. Uh, but uh, they're very passionate about or very intense about, you know, taking action, for example, of social distancing, doing the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. I just wish I personally saw a lot more uh, of that kind of passion and effort put into preventing uh, something that's that has like a 25% chance of killing you versus like a 0.0019. So what's your take on that, Paul? Wow, thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> that was a really good comparison. That's so important to see. It just reveals so many things. Yeah, it's, um, I've got lots to say in response to that. Um, such a great intro. Well, it kind of points out, you really, you really pointed out just how powerful the media is. So, you know, if, if the, the media is saying something or focusing on something, then the world starts to, and you know, focus on the same thing. When really, as you're pointing out, there might be things that are actually far more important and concerning. Um, but, but yeah, another, another point is that uh, with this pandemic, people are practicing the social distancing, wearing masks and these types of things. And a lot of people are forced to because it's been made some kind of a law and that's what concerns a lot of people because freedom has been taken away and um these these are not health principles these are not things that raise you know wearing a mask or washing your hands or keeping your distance from a person doesn't actually make anyone healthier it's not building the strength of a person's immune system it's not raising one's health status uh so really long term this isn't a solution like at all like if, if we're going to try to focus on creating, you know, protecting the safety of everyone's health, there's really only one way to do that uh, responsibly or, you know, effectively long term. And that is to actually focus on health principles, uh, even basic ones like sleeping well, getting to bed on time that actually carries over into having a stronger immune system. All you have to do is just test it out yourself, like miss a few nights of sleep in a row stay up until 2 or 3 a.m. and uh, don't get a chance to sleep in, have to be forced to go to work because you have responsibilities. And then you'll see that you, you can end up getting sick in just a matter of days because you missed sleep. So the media is not, or the top doctors, you know, like there's all these, I, I see journal articles and 
news broadcasters and oftentimes the very first few words that come out of the like the, of the sentence spoken is health authorities say or top doctors agree and blah 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 so it's kind of like this this to me this appears very much like um kind of swaying people or influencing people to really listen to what they're going to about to say by by introducing the topic with these these bold statements like top doctors stay say but as you see just like with cancer um the typical approaches in standard the standard medical approach to to these types of diseases is still not focused on health principles so if a person has cancer they're told you know the, you've, you've got to focus on a treatment uh, you've got to focus on destroying the cancer uh, by doing radiation by doing chemotherapy by having a surgery and then after these things are done people are oftentimes sent home and nothing actually changes in their life with regards to what actually does keep them healthy or what prevents these types of things from happening so um, thank you for for being willing to and interested in in, in talking about cancer because um, I think once cancer is understood by the masses, which it's not right now, you know, the, the mainstream theory or, or belief that's taught in medical school is that cancer is kind of just a thing that happens to you, to, that can happen to us. It's related to genes, um, sort of bad luck. Maybe, maybe you had a cell that was damaged in your body. That cell then starts to multiply out of control. And now all we can do is, is go into this war and try to destroy this cell kind of like the, the pandemic, there's, there's nothing you can do. There's, there's just, you're, it's kind of bad luck. If you happen to run into the virus, then you're going to get sick. There's not really anything you can do except for wait for sort of another treatment, which is this vaccine that should, you know, protect us from our health. But again, none of this stuff is actually focused on real health principles, uh, eating healthy food, sleeping, drinking clean water, getting you know, a, a healthy amount of movement. And most importantly, the, the thing that's oftentimes most difficult to address, uh, but that's stress, psychological stress, emotional stress, stress over money, stress and relationship challenges, um, stress, for example, related to the pandemic and all these uh, rules and loss, you know, and mandates and orders that people are given. There's a massive amount of stress beyond the world is going to damage people's health. That really is going to make people more prone to both cancer and also infectious diseases. Mm -hmm. So thanks for bringing that up right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. And before people go like, oh yeah, like do walking and this and that and sleeping, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to do too much. So let's, let's just look at the facts here. It's like, who are the people that are having complications from COVID, for example, like a sidestep here, it's mainly just the obese and very unhealthy. How do you become obese and unhealthy? You know, you become obese and unhealthy. Being extremely overweight is, is a symptom of poor lifestyle and nutritional choices. You know, it's not like a, uh, some would say, oh, it's a genetic predisposition. Sure, but you need environmental triggers to trigger those genetic predispositions. And those environmental triggers include, uh, include very poor lifestyle and nutritional choices. And then a belief system that led to all those problems to begin with for a very long time for that to happen, for you to be vulnerable to catch COVID and then also have 
complications enough to be hospitalized for it. I think basically like last time I read, not an expert on the subject, last time I read uh, a few studies on it, it looked like 90% of the people or 95% of the people that end up being hospitalized were people that are either overweight or obese. So, and that could easily be obviously prevented through just good lifestyle nutrition uh, variables, which you're mentioning. So it goes like a lot, I feel like a lot of times, especially with the, I don't know if you got this sense, but with the American mindset, I like just heavily, heavily relied on medicine because it seems complicated. So it must work. You know what I mean? I don't know if you get that impression too. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, um, the, something came to mind as well that I want to comment on first, and then I'll, I'll talk about the medicine part that you just brought up. Um, and I want to say in quotes medicine, because there's, there's kind of two cut kinds of medicine. There's, there's, well, there's another word, there's drugs, right? Mm -hmm. So there's drugs and then there's medicine. And a lot of people think that the medical system uses medicine, <laughs> but drugs actually are something that tend to um, be a quick fix. You know, a drug is a quick fix. Like people talk, oftentimes think of alcohol as a drug or, or um, you know, your typical street drugs like uh, cocaine or something. So if you were to be unhappy or really stressed out, oftentimes people like to drink alcohol and alcohol is a drug. And so then what it does is it creates a temporary feeling of relaxation. You, you have a little bit of freedom and you, you feel a little bit better overall maybe. But long term, that doesn't really work for action. Hey, Paul, you're breaking up. You're breaking up just in the medical system. You're breaking up just a little bit. Can you repeat the last two sentences? You're talking about alcohol and how it's kind of like a yes. symptom management strategy and doesn't really get rid of get rid of the problems, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It just doesn't work long term. So in the medical system, am I, am I clear now? Yeah, it, it's cleared up. Okay. So in the medical system, we kind of have something similar going on. We've gotten to this point where um, so many decades have gone by where society has been kind of taught to focus on um, pharmaceutical drugs as the solution health challenges that that's what we have. We, we really have a medical system that doesn't medicine. It uses drugs. So you go in and you have pain or you have inflammation and that's being caused by some factor in one's life that needs to be addressed. And, you know, the average doctor spends something like five minutes with their patient. There's nothing, there's no real focus on what's going on in a person's life. There's there's no real help or focus on improving a, a client's life or um, addressing and resolving certain factors that need attention that could make that person happier, healthier, um, more fulfilled in all, all the important ways. It's just none of that is focused on. It's just, you know, finding some sort of drug to pres prescribe to the patient and then they go home. And because it's a drug, it doesn't solve the problem long-term, just like alcohol would. So you have, uh, you don't feel pain for a while because now you have a drug suppressing the pain, 
but the thing that's actually causing the pain is still there. So then people's health really starts to degrade over time. And then you end up with something worse than just pain, but maybe a disease. Yeah. I just find like a lot of times, especially like the drugs you mentioned, just allow people to continue to be the dummy they were that led them to that problem to begin with, you know, it just kind of, mm-hmm. and then obviously like after a certain amount of time, it just gets even worse and they get like even deeper into the hole and it becomes even harder to get out of. And then you become more and more dependent on this kind of like drug approach to treatment, which really doesn't treat anything. It just kind of buys you time while you have this like downward spiral Yeah. in life. Yeah. Now, granted there are that one out of, a hundred exceptions where it really is the thing that kind of allowed the person to have enough time to rethink their priorities in life and make the right transition to become like healthier and more health conscious. So that definitely happens, you know, in emergency medicine, you know, like if you get in a car accident and your leg get, gets crushed, you're probably going to need pain medication for a while, you know, if you want to sleep or function in the day or anything. But I just find for every one of those, that it really does help transition to a more health conscious life. You have like 99 uh, people that just continue this downward spiral and even like a faster loop. And I find like regarding your comment about doctors spending five or 10 minutes with a patient, et cetera, where like with the check approach, for example, it's like, it seems like even three hours sometimes isn't enough, you know, to do like a really thorough and proper assessment. So I don't know what you can do in a quick five minute chat. But I, I have, uh, I've asked a lot of doctors and I'm like, oh, what do you, what, what do you guys think about this five or 15 minute protocol? And they always tell me like, well, we don't like it either, but it's just how the insurance companies dictate that we work and it's just how it works. And I don't even know the patient's name. Oftentimes I just go off by their room number. And then like the second I even chat with them, I already have to be off to the next person, et cetera, et cetera. And I have these quotas to meet. And uh, my thing is like, okay, so medical doctors are, I think they're intelligent, you know, I think they're very smart people and they're, they have like a good work ethic most of the time. But my problem with the medical system in terms of the business perspective, you have like insurance companies, which are mainly run and operated by business minded people that have a very vague or maybe no understanding of anything health related, telling the medical doctor how to practice. Now, I don't know if I'm crazy, but there seems to be something wrong with that. You know what I mean? I don't know what yeah, your opinions, what your opinions are on that. That seems, and when I tell them that they're like, they have no real reply the, the medical doctor doesn't have any real reply to that. They're like, oh yeah, you know, it's like this person doesn't know anything about medicine or health and wellness. And he's telling you, which spent like under, with the undergrad uh, college degree, maybe like 15 years in schooling to learn this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, unfortunately, society, um, many, most societies around the world are so deep into the monetary system uh, where money is kind of like the foundation of life for most people. And, and like, in a way we need money, like we need money to buy food and, and pay for our bills and ha- have shelter but money has just gone wild. You know, people um, are, are in these positions. Many people are trapped in these positions. Like today, for example, in the pandemic, m- many people are following the rules because if they don't follow the rules, ultimately they might lose their job. 
And this is what we see, what you're pointing out. There's so many medical doctors who are being influenced and almost told or pressured to continue to perpetuate like this um, approach to health <laughs> that doesn't really work um, much at all long-term. Like there's no actual health principles in there. And, and they, they're just trapped, you know, they do um, like, of course, I think some doctors just don't care, but, but, but prop maybe most do actually care and they just don't know how to get out of this. They spent 10 years in school and spent like however many tens of thousands of dollars to get their me uh, medical license. And then they end up in this position where they're prescribing all these drugs. They don't have time to actually really help clients with their life and um, this just goes on and on and what you see what I've noticed I recently moved to Europe and I um, after the pandemic began and what I've seen is um, vending machines that are selling candy and chocolate and chips and all this stuff that's not even food it's not real food and it's loaded with refined sugar and natural flavors natural flavors which is chemicals and um, caffeine and all this stuff coloring agents all of these things cause inflammation in the body they cause weight gain they cause problems and right in the same vending machine one of the slots is the covid mask <laughs> you know? so you, you so the we've gotten to this point where society is really in trouble because it seems that many of the larger uh corporate headquarters that kind of provide, um, you know, or kind of oversee the medical system and also oversee um, food supply or what people consume are somehow tied together because how, ha how have we come to a point where, like, imagine, imagine if it was legal, if you and I, Eugene, we got together, we're like, hey, let's try to make a lot of money. How do you want to do that? What's a, like, what could we get? What could we sell that a lot of people consume? Well, people consume a lot of food. Okay, so let's let's start a business where we sell people food. Well, there's I don't have time to grow organic food. I don't have time to do you know operate with real health principles like farming principles and create nutritious food. So what kind of food do you want to sell? Well, we can probably put something together with some artificial flavors and some refined sugar and whatever. And we could get that selling in some kind of a package. So then we could just open up a fast food joint you know, on the corner in every main city across the country, eventually, if we kept expanding, and we could just sell a product that people eat. And when they eat it, it poisons them. Like when they eat it, it causes inflammation in their body, it causes stress to their body. And this is legal, like this is allowed, we, we could do this, that's what's already happening. And then imagine if we were allowed then to also take all the money we're profiting from it, because it's so profitable, to sell food that isn't really food. It doesn't cut, you know, it's not much of an investment to throw together some chemicals and some artificial foods and then sell that for profit. So then if we got really, really wealthy from that, we could then just market our business. We could advertise to children and we could get people valuing this kind of stuff. Like this is normal. This is what we should eat. This is what we should want. And then you end up with people that are 30, 40, whatever years old and they, they're overweight and yet they're wanting to eat these things and it, they get into this really confusing situation where 
they kind of know that it's not good for them, but yet they're addicted because the chemicals of the food are designed that way. Mm -hmm. So people have a really hard time getting out of this mess. And the thing that concerns me the most is the fact that this mess that we're in for many people are in is actually overseen by the, by the politicians, by the leaders of countries, these, you know, if, if the leaders of the countries can force everyone to potentially even close their business in the name of health, like in this pandemic, only the essential places can remain open. Well, then why haven't they been using that power to actually influence the type of businesses that exist in the first place? So that we have, like, imagine if we had a society that was raised to eat real food and was disgusted at the thought of eating chemicals and pesticides and, um, you know, artificial things. Like, how would our world look? We would probably have uh, 99% of the of the populations actually healthy and happy and thriving instead of the reverse. Yeah, so I got this from um, a book called Teaming with Microbes. I forgot the author's name, but to give him credit, uh, like he basically described like the world as an apple. And if you shave off like 70% of the surface, that's like an, uh, that's like a, that's the ocean. So it's basically not farmable for food. And then if you take away 15 more percent, that's like a landmass that's not able to be farmed for food either for one reason or another. And then the rest of the like 15 or so percent, the large bulk of that is where metro, that is able to be farmed for food uh, is where metropolitan areas are developed because they're often built in the most fertile lands. So you're really kind of left with about like five to 8% of the world's mass that's able to be farmed for food. And it's these same companies, these fast food type companies that support monocropping and monocropping is basically one of the biggest contributors to environmental destruction uh, because it's, uh, I mean, all those operations are basically heavily dependent on grain, like primarily corn and soy, like McDonald's for the meat. They're obviously sourcing factory farm meat. That industry wouldn't exist without corn and soy. And then uh, all of their vegetables or whatever else they try to, they try to sell is all coming from monocrop operations as well. It's definitely not coming from a well-established permaculture or biodynamic environment, obviously. So they, so you can't become healthy eating sick animals and plants and you can't grow healthy plants in a monocrop environment you can't grow healthy animals in a factory farm nazi concentration camp type scenario so obviously the average consumer has to realize like i can't possibly become healthy eating sick animals and plants and these companies are just growing that type of food group and they're selling it to you and you're paying them you're paying them to, to give you that food, which causes you obesity, disease, misery, inflammation, joint pain. Uh, if you look up inflammation theory of disease, I mean like 95% plus of whatever you're gonna be struggling with comes from chronic inflammation in your body. And then you give them money to once again, impose more misery on these animals and plants so they can give it back to you. I'm like, what kind of negative cycle is that? And then the thing is like the bigger picture is like once these executives sell these companies and they disappear with their billions, who's left with the mess? You know, who's going to clean up the mess? Like all you're left with is an obese body that's full of disease, mental and physical pain. The the land that they grew all these monocrop operations on is destroyed and not able to be farmed for food anymore. We only have five to 8% of that land that's able to be farmed for food. 
And then they disappear with their bundles of cash and they're like, here, here's your depleted soil. Here's your obesity. Good luck, you know? So people have to like realize, kind of like start connecting the dots and being, stop being so oblivious. And I know it's a little bit tough for the average person today because there I feel like, uh, I don't know how it is in Switzerland, it might be more mellow, but I feel like in America, like so much of the population is like in a fight or flight situation. Like they get up, like not well rested, like you said in the beginning, they got to rush off to 10 hours of work, probably paycheck to paycheck type of lifestyle, not really financially like thriving through the roof. Um, very sick, probably dealing with one joint pain or another, which is also making it more stressful to exist throughout the day, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how, how are things in Europe these days? Um, I was there actually in Germany like two years ago. And I've noticed kind of like the health of just from observation alone, the health of the population wasn't that impressive either, but I could be wrong. Like, what's your take on that? In, in uh, Switzerland, I'm really, I'm really surprised actually. In, in Germany is kind of similar to maybe Canada, uh, but Switzerland, uh, people are way more healthy. There's, there's, um, there's uh, all kinds of biking trails literally right across the whole country going from every t from all the towns they're all connected with biking trails like paved nice trails lots and lots of people are are walking or uh, running or riding together and um, there's all these exercise stations all over the place and and the thing i noticed the most is that switzerland has a tremendous amount of free-range animals free-range chickens like uh, multiple times now i've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chickens out in pasture. And I've never seen that in Canada, not in my whole life. In Switzerland, I've actually seen pigs, like real living pigs outside. And in Canada, I have not seen that once in my whole life. Um, and then there's cows here and um, um, what are they called? Um, like uh, emus, they're not emus. <laughs> what are these big, these weird um, sort of llama type animals, um, sort of different types of buffalo and um, sheep. Uh, it's really, I, I'm really impressed, but it's still, still the majority of the population is succumbing to this whole concept that we need to have poison sprayed on our food in order for it to be abundant. Um, I met a farmer recently in Switzerland who has been farming. He learned from his parents and he's been farming um, organically his whole life. And he, he uh, grows fruit trees and he has over 200 different varieties of fruit trees on his farm. And because he uses variety and not monoculture, like you're talking, like you mentioned, uh, he does not need pesticides. He doesn't have an, um, he doesn't attract all these bugs. But then there's farmers in Switzerland, the, the ones who use pesticides use just four different species, just four different types of trees. And because they grow these huge numbers of these types of trees, they attract huge numbers of bugs that come to those trees. And then, then they don't have a crop. So then they think that the answer is to spray all the trees with pesticides. So we're, we're really, we really need people to, it's tough. Um, because like you said, people are oftentimes just stressed out. They're in a fight or flight response from the morning they wake up to the end. So this is what really creates, in my opinion, it really makes um, pursuing 
a virtuous life and pursuing a moral life and a responsible life and becoming independent and, and like positioning ourselves so that we actually contribute to the world in a way that actually creates more beauty and more health and more goodness uh, uh, actually achieve something like meaningful and for those people that commit to that process. So whether it's a doctor who's stuck in a position where they don't know how to get out of, or just, um, you know, a, a factory worker or, a, or a, a construction worker or a lawyer or who, whatever, it's the, the number one thing is to actually just start caring enough to really want that to change. And then, and then setting a goal, just, just a goal of intention that this has got to change, you know, it's a commitment. And then you begin the journey. Then you begin the actual adventure of becoming what I would call a spiritual adult. Like, I don't think a human being is a real spiritual adult until they've somehow reached a point where they love themselves enough and the world to, to actually eat whole organic food and to actually, you know, um, not be an over consumer and, and to live a life of meaning and passion, not just for money. Like, of course we have to pay our bills, but to find our calling, you know, to find why we, what's, what are we going to feel good about when we go to the grave? You know, what kind of life did we live? What kind of passions did we pursue? How did we make our money? And that's, that's graspable by anybody. It doesn't matter how tough of a situation or how impossible it might be. The beauty of being a human being is that we are co-creators. We have the ability to set a dream, to set a goal, and then actually watch our life start to change and transform and start moving in the direction of that goal. But oftentimes, until a person becomes conscious, until they actually wake up to like just how much of a problem there is in society, they oftentimes just think everything's normal. And unfortunately, people usually don't wake up until they do have a disease, until they do have so much pain in their body that they can't ignore it anymore. Then they start to have like this huge change in their lifestyle. So I would love to see real prevention begin to happen, you know, where people don't need a disease to start contributing to a better world and to their own selves. Um, so this is um, one of the reasons I'm so focused on cancer and have been for many years is because uh, I really wanted to, to learn what the real root cause of cancer was and so that we could actually start preventing it. And a lot of people think that preventing cancer just means changing your diet, but actually we need to change a lot. We need to um, change it, we, we have to get out of the fight or flight um, way of living. We're just constantly on the go or we're willing to sacrifice ourselves for money or we're willing to uh, stay in a relationship that really is not growing. It's not evolving. It's not, um, you know, um, becoming more mature and more balanced and more whole. It's just draining us. We, we need to like realize that these types of stressors are the things that actually cause cancer, not genes we really need to want to take responsibility to, to make a difference in these, in these areas. And like you said in the beginning, um, I'll put it into different numbers, but 26,000 people die a day of cancer. 
every single day, 26,000 people die of cancer. So it's, it's really huge. Um, there's, there's lots to fix in this world, which is, gives a lot of opportunity for people to really start developing their legacy or their dream in life, something they can really live for that's meaningful to them because it's really contributing to the world we would ideally like to see, you know. I'll, I'll just pause there because that was a long-winded response, but. Yeah, so really quick, action steps. I know me and Paul are talking about this grand vision, but people are like, oh, what to do? Just some quick things you can do, and I'm going to let Paul take over right after this one in terms of the nutrition perspective. I mean, check out websites uh, like americangrassfed.org, like in the U.S. In, in the Europe, check out websites like, uh, bio, I think it's biodynamic eu or something like that.com gonna have to check on it but i'm pretty sure if the listeners just google it they'll find it really quick eatwild.com is another ama amazing website that can put you directly in touch with all of these pasture raised farming operations and they deliver straight to you okay don't think like you have to go climb up a mountain to find one of these farmers and pick up some food and then go all the way down it's not that difficult anymore okay so practically 99 percent of them deliver straight to your door uh, for like 10 bucks. It's very cheap. And uh, it probably costs you more than that to go drive to the grocery store and buy that far factory farm junk they sell there. Uh, because, you know, you got to drive there, you got to park in the parking lot. Now you got to wear this stupid mask. Uh, you got to get in line, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, search for your food here, you just kind of click on their website. They ship out like on Tuesday, for example, you get it on Thursday, and it's like way higher quality stuff. So so there's some quick action steps. And for those of you that are like, oh, it's it's too expensive. So remember, uh, 2,000 calorie organic diet per year, at least in the US, costs about $4,000. But the average American is spending about five to $7,000 a year on medical expenses related to poor nutrition and lifestyle factors, okay? And then the average American is also spending about eight to 16,000 a year on non-essential expenses like alcohol, subscription services, eating fast food with their coworkers at lunch, which is supporting the very exact system we're talking about today that's producing basically disease and misery like all around the world and just filling the pockets of a very, very, very small amount. But how did you, how did you get into, um, how did you get into this field to begin with? Uh, well, I, I, um, I ended up, well, I spent many years actually doing what we're talking about, really changing my life and really adopting these new values and um, investing myself in um, these more virtuous, responsible, like adult principles of living, uh, which took some time, uh, but, I, but I eventually got there. So I, I came to a point where I was eating organic food all the time. I had relationships direct with farmers um, because what I, what, I, what I actually did when I was younger is I actually got a loan to buy organic food. I literally took out a line of credit. And when I went to the grocery store, I would use my line of credit to buy groceries because I was that committed to, to um, investing in a life that was meaningful to me and that I could be proud of, you know, to sleep well at night about. And um, I thought of it as an investment. And I really think it is because when you're when you invest in your in your in these types of um, values, you're really investing in your own life force. You know, when you become 
more energized and healthier and happier because your health is connected to your um, to your hormones of happiness as well. So when you're happier and healthier on a daily basis, and that's growing because you're investing in these moral principles, you're, you're getting paid back with this. And then with that energy, you can build your business and you can um, contribute to your relation. You can grow in your relationships easier. You can just become more successful, more successful overall because of this basic investment it kind of starts here and many times. So anyways, that worked really well for me. I was super healthy and I'm still healthy today. And back then I was, you know, really thriving. Um, and uh, my stepfather ended up developing lung cancer. And so I thought, well, I already know what he needs to do. He's got to eat organic food and he's got to do all these things I'm doing, meditating, eating organic food, uh, you know, getting connect, connecting to nature, breathing clean air, doing some Tai Chi, uh, drinking clean water, not using a microwave, not eating gluten, not drinking pasteurized milk, not eating refined sugar, not drinking coffee, uh, and all these things. And he followed my advice. He actually followed my advice. And, and he benefited from it a lot, but his cancer still wasn't going away. And so we, we had him do... Um, all these alternative things. He did acupuncture and uh, all of these special, he worked with naturopaths. He took like mistletoe and um, vitamin C and still his cancer wasn't going away. And I thought, what the hell is happening? Because these are all the principles of health that have made me extremely vibrant because my health was failing in the past too. I won't even go into that long story but the, my, my that's health a separate two podcast two-part series yeah <laughs> so my, my health was saved I, I had bad back pain i had a skin problem and and so on and my my health completely reversed and now i'm like super super healthy but yet it's not working for him so he ended up he ended up just deciding he needed to do both he needed to do um radiation he had surgery done and soon after that he died and just three months later, my um, best friend's father, who I was very close with, had basically the same experience. He used a different uh, alternative approach. He tried all these different things. And then he used a different traditional approach. He used chemotherapy, not radiation. And he died. And so I started, um, this was like a really painful experience, life experience for me. Uh, losing two father figures, the only two father figures I had in my life. And I, I ended up sort of, it hit me in a certain way that just made me ask the question, maybe cancer actually has a purpose in the body. You know, maybe it's there for some kind of a reason. Because I, I want, I, I started questioning the very theory of cancer, why it shows up, you know, because if we have the theory about cancer wrong, if that's not correct, then all the approaches we do to try to solve the problem won't really work. And it turns out as I continued to kind of investigate this in my own ways, reading different books, meditating on it, interviewing people, paying attention, I started to see patterns. And I ended up working with uh, cancer patients and um, not just for uh, single sessions, like you said in the beginning, sometimes three hours isn't enough. I actually had people live with me who had cancer. So I would have people live with me for a whole month 
and I would get to know every single factor about their life, their history, their past, the types of goals they have for the future, if they or, or maybe they don't have any, and what's going on in their life uh, currently. And I started to realize that in every single case, there was a pattern. Behind breast cancer, there's a general pattern of certain stressors going on in a person's life. Behind liver cancer, there's a general pattern of specific types of stress going on in a person's life. It's not about, so if they're not eating well, then that's a problem to begin with because their energy goes down. But stress, like, so you could be eating organic food. The next step up though, is to be a happy and stress-free or you don't have to be completely free of stress because life isn't perfect. But if you have chronic stress, if there's some kind of situation that really isn't improving, this is what triggers cancer cells. So mm -hmm. what I ended up doing is mapping the body. I worked with many cancer patients over many years, and I've come to realize that cancer is being triggered from chronic stress situations. And it doesn't just show up in a random part of the body. It's specifically related to themes in a person's life. So for example, if a person develops lung cancer, what I found is it's almost always related to grieve, grieving, unresolved grieving. So pain from the loss of a loved one. So someone dies tragically in the family or a husband or a wife dies, and then the person experiences tremendous pain and they're not able to deal with the pain. And that pain just stays with them day after day after day and week after week, they can't sort of resolve it and let it go and come to a place of real acceptance where they can relax because it's so intense. This leads to lung cancer. This is actually the cause. So this is the general um, story behind all of the cancers. So cancer in the colon is oftentimes related to, there's a few possibilities, just a few though. It's usually related to stress about money, cancer in the colon. If it's not about money, it's oftentimes related to um, stress about either family or like some kind of a group of friends that are a person's connected to. And so I've kind of mapped, I've mapped all the, all of the cancers into different regions of the body. And what's amazing is that when these things are resolved, people's uh, tumors shrink and a person's cancer goes away because you're actually addressing the real root cause and you're, you're, you're making changes, positive changes. So if a person's really stressed about money, that can't just be left unaddressed. That needs to be changed. So sometimes it's not easy, but um, sometimes it means uh, quitting a job uh, and getting a different one. Or sometimes it means moving into a smaller home that doesn't cost so much. Sometimes it means selling the car that has all these monthly payments and getting just a cheap one that isn't as shiny and nice, but you can actually relax because the money problem has been resolved. So it's always unique. It's never simple, but it's always realistic or usually very realistic. And a person can heal that way. No, um, I think, I think so that's sorry, how I got into it. And that's kind of, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, go yeah. ahead, Paul, fin finish your sentence. It's kind of lagging a little bit. That's why I interrupted you. Go, finish your uh, sentence. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, it was, uh, did I cut out there? No, I accidentally yeah, I interrupted just you. That's kind of how I got into working with cancer. And that's a, just kind of a quick summary of my experience.
Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm curious, have you ever been confused by the labels in the grocery store? In Yevgeny's book, he demystifies the difference between caged, cage-free, free-range, and pasture-raised meats. He also covers how to avoid GMOs, source high-quality water, fish, supplements, and other related topics. It's a beautifully illustrated, non-technical read that comes with a comprehensive video series and other extended learning materials. Jump on Amazon and check out the book titled Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide by Evgeny Trefkin. Now let's dive back into the podcast. Gotcha. I think, I think your uh, solutions aren't complicated. <laughs> I think they're common sense, very simple solutions in terms of like getting rid of the expensive car, like, uh, or getting downgrading on the house if necessary, et cetera, et cetera. Like, Sometimes I also tell clients like, oh, you got to change this and this, you know, and they're like, oh, it's difficult. I'm like, well, is it easy, you know, being obese like your whole entire life or having all this pain or all these health issues? It's not like that's easy either. You know what I mean? And I would have to say that's even like a lot more difficult than uh, like, for instance, if you're mega stressed out and it's causing your cortisol to shoot through the roof or eventually your adrenals just stop producing cortisol and then you have like super crazy uh, chronic fatigue issues and your HPA regulation is all out of whack and you're just falling apart. I mean, dude, in my perspective, that's not easy to deal with on a 24, 24, seven basis. So I don't know. I think, I think your solutions were just very easy. Although you said they're very hard. I'm like, man, those are obvious, like easy solutions for me. Um, that's just my take when you're not thinking like, like a brainwashed corporate minion, that's just what's obvious, you know, but when you're in the brainwashed corporate minion mindset, it's very hard sure. to see. It's very hard to see those very, in my opinion, common sense, practical, simple alternative solutions that will improve the quality of your life. And more importantly, probably everyone in your family, because as you become sick, it kind of has a trickle, sick or miserable or have anger issues. That's going to have a trickle down effect on literally everyone around you. So, um, so there's, there's That's that a aspect. Good point. Yeah. What's your, um, is there yeah, some there's, kind of... Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, no, no, uh, you, you go ahead. You can ask a question. Sorry, I'm cutting out. It makes it hard for us to kind no, it's of okay. uh, trade okay. off in our exchange. No, it's yeah. okay. We'll make it Go happen. ahead. What was your next question? Do you feel that there is a strong, though, genetic predisposition for any of those things you obviously said there's a lot of environmental factors obviously like continuing to work a stressful job etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh it what's what's uh because a lot of people kind of are like oh you know they get cancer and they're like ah it's because of my genetics not because i was working 15 hours a day and eating the shitty diet and in the shitty relationship and not living true to my core values that has nothing to do with it of course you know right What's your yeah, take it's a, on that? it's a good. Thanks, a good. It's a good question. There's two things that I wanted to say re with regards to that, and this kind of um, is re related to the last thing you were talking about as well. Is first of all, no. What I've learned over the years is uh, genetics. Honestly, in all of the uh, in all the years, I've been working with cancer patients for ten years now, roughly, and in all of that time, not once has genes been the cause of their cancer. Not once. And I've worked with people with like all types of cancers, lymphoma, 
uh, which is supposed to be incurable, yet I've had people reverse their, their lumps, their lymphoma lumps in just a matter of weeks. Um, lung cancer, um, breast cancer, liver cancer, colon cancer, et cetera. Never is it genetics. What's actually going on is behavior patterns and fears and values are what's passed on in families. So if, if as a child, you were witnessing your mother um, constantly sacrificing herself in, in her life in some way, um, like really oftentimes not happy, like she's wanting to say no to something, but saying yes, and then wanting to say no, but saying yes. And, and if you're observing this as a child, you're learning from your parents like how to behave, how to deal with these challenging situations. So then what happens is you would have a tendency to now sacrifice yourself when you meet challenging situations once you're a so-called adult. And these are the things that are actually passed on. And because specific behavior patterns can predispose you to certain types of cancer, that's actually what's going on. Um, so the other thing I wanted to comment on is a lot of people don't under, don't, aren't aware that there is a spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, at least the way I explain one aspect of the spiritual realm is that we really are as human beings in a growth process. We are actually growing in terms of our awareness and in terms of our independence and uh, our strength our strength to face change, face the change process, our strength to face our fears, our strength to let go of what doesn't serve us and put more of our energy into what does. This is a process. Like it's not something that we just start off with being strong at. So um, it's so essential to actually take responsibility for yourself and realize that by going into the change process uh, to resolve stress, to really face whatever needs to be faced to change that stress scenario, you're actually growing. You're not just losing something or swapping something for another, for something else. And you're kind of like a victim. You're, you're actually growing because of this. And every time you grow through these types of challenges by, by choosing to go through a process of change, you really permanently become stronger as a spiritual adult. And eventually you reach a point where you don't really have to go through so much stress and challenges anymore. Life never comes to this point where it's perfect, but now you're kind of like um, flowing more with the river of life and enjoying it rather than um, just getting stuck at some level of growth and then having a disease enter your body and just kind of going down with the challenge rather than really growing through it. So no, I don't think genetics are the cause. Um, uh, uh, one of the spiritual rules that I've noticed really applies mo pretty much all of the time. There seems to be this spiritual law where if you're being told that the solution for your own challenge is something related to dependency or irresponsibility, then it's not going to work, right? If if you're being if you if you have to go down the road of developing independence and taking responsibility, 
then that's probably going to work for you. So, so if you take a drug, for example, to solve a problem, a health challenge, that's dependency. You're just dependent on a drug because how, how are you, you know, the drug, the drug doesn't, you're just stuck with that. You're not becoming more independent. You're not taking responsibility for what's going on in your life. So you, you therefore cannot grow. Now you're just stuck with this drug. The vaccine is vaccine to solve infectious disease. That's, that's another silly example where, where we're not actually changing. We're not taking real responsibility. See, it's, it's easier to just wear a mask or to social distance and follow these rules because we don't actually have to change anything about our life. We don't, we don't have to say, you know what? I'm not going to get sick. I don't care if there's a so-called virus floating around. It won't harm me because I'm going to sleep well. I'm going to, you know, really take control of my life and look after myself in all the real responsible choices and actions. It's, it's just far easier to just not do that and just wear a mask and think that that's the solution. And it's never the solution. And what you see is we're over a year now into this so-called pandemic. And do you, like, is it ever going to end? Well, it's not going to end. It's not going to end by wearing masks. It's not going to end by social distancing. It's not going to end with vaccines. These are perpetual. This is a downward spiral. This is a trap, actually. It's just a trap. It's an illusion. Uh, so that's my answer to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And sometimes it's sad, man, because I see like some people, like especially on social media. Uh, now, once again, I'm actually not anti-vaccine. I'm just anti-symptom management and allowing people to be dummies that led them into that situation to begin with. There's a time and place literally for everything. I just try to avoid symptom management approaches to things. So just to clarify there, but I just feel like sad for sometimes like I see on people on social media, they're like, oh, bragging about like I got vaccinated. And then at the same time, they're doing it from like a fast food restaurant or something like that. I'm like, okay, well, like we hinted at here, it's like, congratulations, man. First off, um, just basic statistics, looking at the facts. I mean, most likely nothing was going to happen to you. Even if you got COVID, you probably just would have had flu-like symptoms for like a few days and you would have been fine. Second, like the COVID vaccine isn't going to help protect you from the myriads of cancers out there that you're way more likely to die from. Like we said, 25% versus COVID being 0.0019% is the equivalent of basically winning like a local state lottery and how many times have you done that in your life or how about the 700,000 Americans that die every single year just from heart attacks alone which like are in the bulk majority of cases very easily preventable through lifestyle and nutritional choices it's kind of like just kind of feel sad for these people you know because they're so so blind and lost and I'm just hoping like because it's kind of like an obvious solution. I don't know if you ever get that feeling. I know it's a little bit on the on the negative common side here, but I'm not all sunshine and flowers on my podcast anyway, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to witness uh, because, you know, especially when it's family or friends, um, it seems like the human journey is just this journey of being unconscious first for a while getting into trouble, going into like the darkness, um, you know, because as a child, we, we can't actually think for ourselves yet, really. Or, you know, the school system kind of teaches us not to think. So we go to school and we might we might feel like 
oh, well, today I'd really like to sleep in. Well, no, you have to go to school. Today I'm really feeling inspired and passionate to explore like a certain book or a certain, you know, topic of life. Well, no, you have to study what we tell you to study. So with school, we kind of lose the ability to make choices for ourselves and we become more passive. Um, and as a very young child, like from the age of zero to five, um, we're just a blank slate. In psychology, they call that a tabula rasa. So if your parents tell you that what's healthy to eat for breakfast is frosted flakes with pasteurized milk and refined sugar sprinkled on it, then you just go ahead and eat it. Like most kids just, just believe whatever they're told. Like you can tell a child the boogeyman exists. You can tell a child the tooth fairy exists or Santa Claus, whatever. So there's, it's not until like much later, oftentimes after school, that people start gaining the ability to think for themselves. And so if society has kind of led them down a path into darkness, like, you know, just use the general term darkness, like a consuming fast food, consuming alcohol, um, whatever, that just actually harms us. It just seems like this is the human journey right now. This is just how it goes. Like people start off going through some kind of a dark period and then they may or may not wake up. Sometimes people don't wake up and go through this transition into consciousness, into um, free thinking, independent thought and pursuing with our freedom, like what matters to us. It's like it's lost first and then we have to gain it back somehow. Um, and with, with regards to the vaccine, I've just lived an interesting life. Um, I, I was born on a farm, like a real farm with pigs and um, cows and chickens and geese and, and so on, horses. And none of our animals were ever sick. They're just never sick. And they weren't factory farmed. We had our animals out to pasture. They're out in the yard. They're just all mixed together. The sheep and the chickens and everyone's just mixed together and very, very healthy. Never, ever getting sick, you know, just dying maybe of old age, which didn't really happen because we would eventually butcher our animals too and eat free range meat. So when I started to find out about factory farming and the vaccine vaccination that goes on there, you know, because all these animals are vaccinated uh, on, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Why would you create, create, create sickness and then try to solve it with a vaccine? And of course, it doesn't actually solve it. The sickness keeps coming. So if we can just back out of the disease creation process, <laughs> I don't know if we even need vaccines, you know, like, if we actually really focus on health principles. But I appreciate what you said there's a time and place for everything so that is super valid i'm just not sure if the pandemics are using that principle it's more like um we don't have a choice kind of thing and this is the only solution and forget about health altogether everyone's got to focus on this sort of non-health protocol and if you don't do it then you can't uh travel you can't do this you can't do that and all this is just disease creating uh stress uh, scenarios. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's actually pretty typical because I don't know, in my opinion, like sick people can't make healthy decisions. So it's like, who's in office, you know, just a bunch of like sick, diseased people. So you can't, they wouldn't be sick and diseased if they could make healthy decisions. <laughs> it's common sense. So obviously like all their solutions are going to be disease, uh, promoting disease, obviously, because they can't even help make themselves, uh, 
healthy and well, which includes a tremendous amount of these medical doctor experts that are kind of shooting advice here and there, but they themselves are probably more sick than the people that they're trying to help, you know? Oh, that's a really good point. It would just be one of my dreams for humanity is to see a time when the leaders of countries and the leaders of nations are put, are, are, are leaders because they're healthy and happy, you know? Not because uh, they're, they talk big about the economy or something, but they're actually wise, healthy, happy people, fit, um, eating organic food. And, and they, they literally then lead the, the nation. They, they actually contribute to leading people in the direction that helps them become happier and healthier. Mm-hmm. But most of the politicians that I see today aren't focused on that. They're not focused on meaning in people's lives or happiness or health and nothing, nothing. It's just usually the economy. You know, how can we boost the economy? How can we get people working more? <laughs> you know, how can we somehow try to make more money and making decisions about what the tax rate should be? And they, how, how is this leadership? This is just a tiny component of what matters in life, you know, like sure money matters, but it, it's the least, at least important, really. Like, what about um, balance and not over-consuming? Like, what if we could have countries where the amount of resources we consume, such as trees from forests, is less than what the forest produces? So as time goes on, we actually have um, vibrant forests with bigger trees and beautiful, beautiful, you know, uh, regions of nature rather than clear cut and planting tiny little trees and clear cut the next section it, over time if you look on google earth at earth it's not looking like it's becoming a more abundant place it's it's kind of becoming more like a desert and it's becoming just it's so out of balance so real leaders if if somehow politicians could actually be real mature spiritual adults that help lead the nation into balance and um, responsible decisions. That would be some kind of miracle. That that's my dream to see something like that happen for the human race. Yeah. Well, how, kind of taking a few steps back, really quick, into being more specific about your treatments. What have, have you ever gotten any clients um, that are in like the very late stages of cancer? Do you recommend for them to go the medical route because it's kind of so late in the game already kind of thing? Well, you know, that's a good question because most of my clients have been late stage because um, in the beginning, especially like, who, who am I? I'm just this person. I'm not an oncologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a naturopath. I'm just a pioneer, actually. I'm someone that's pursuing this from my heart and I'm not really invested in it financially or even from the education system. This is me doing my own research. So how can someone trust me? I'm sure I'm a holistic lifestyle coach. So that helps. And I I do have a, you know, kinesiology degree in science, but, but really that's not enough uh, for most people. So what the people that I've actually worked with over the last 10 years, almost all of them it's until now recently, finally, we're stage four cancer. We're either stage three or stage four metastasized cancer. And the reason they came to me is because they already did the traditional approach. They already did chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, all that stuff, and uh, many alternative things. And then they just kind of had 
no other choice. They're, they're told that they, they would not heal, nothing more could be done. And so then they would come to my program and, and start doing coaching with me, focusing on the root cause. And that's what I've, like I, I've shared, I've discovered there is a root cause of each type of cancer and it's still unique to each individual, individual but there's a root cause there. So definitely, I would just recommend basically to, to prevent cancer, we need to learn what the root cause of it actually is and to, and then resolve that now if it needs res resolution in someone's life. And as I've kind of alluded to, it's related to stress. It's related to chronic stress. Um, but if a person has cancer, the, the most important thing to do is to focus on resolving the root cause. The root cause is not a general approach of health. It's, it's, it's important to start eating better. It's important to maybe take some special type of supplement that's particularly potent and helpful. It's important to start sleeping better, to, to really start changing your lifestyle. But the most important thing is still the root cause. So like I said, if you're actually chronically stressed about money for a complex reason, it doesn't matter if you start eating organic food and sleeping better and doing all these lifestyle principles if you continue to be stressed about money. Mm -hmm. So in that case, the root cause is to change that situation related to money. And if you don't change it, then your cancer probably won't go away. Sure, you can get it cut out, you can get it burned out with radiation or whatever, but it'll come back. And that's that's very, very common for people is to see their cancer um, destroyed somehow. And then two years later or two months later, it comes back. But the thing is, when it comes back, it comes back far worse. And it usually mm -hmm. comes back as metastasized cancer. I see. Have you, uh, what's, I don't know if you're even allowed to talk to this or if you're not, it's okay too. Can you give like an example of, um, well, actually, first, kind of taking a step back, sorry, I'm kind of, you brought up a lot of good points that are important to touch on. Do you know any good, um, like for understanding, like the physiology of stress, at least? Like I uh, looked a lot into um, Dr. Robert Sapolsky's books. Um, it's been a long time. I think Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers is one of them. Do you have like any good material that people can kind of check out on uh, so they could actually learn about first like the physiology of stress and then kind of the etiology of why stress happens etc cetera, etc cetera. oh yeah great good question i have that book by the way why is uh why zebras don't get ulcers i reference robert sapolsky in my book <laughs> um so that's a good book um like, uh, I think the most important book that I would suggest is mine because it's, uh, the, the, we don't know of a single other source that provides the provide in my teachings because of the work that I've done. Um, so I would first recommend, I'll give you a list of books though, but mine is definitely important. It's the, and it's called The Root Cause of Cancer, How to Begin Healing from Within. And that oh, can be uh, Paul, from I got to interrupt you. Paul, I got to interrupt you a little bit because the reception is, uh, it's gone in the red. It's a little bit staticky. Okay. Um, can you maybe move to like a slightly different place so we can see if it um, kind of improves yeah. a little bit? Yeah, see if this helps. Is this better? 
Um, no, still seems a little. Does that low. help at all? I think it's it's still in the red, but at least I can hear you in that corner. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I was saying my book is called The Root Cause of Cancer, okay. How to Begin Healing from Within. Okay, that's cool. at That's at www.thepurposeofcancer.com. Okay, is that the only place it could be found, or can you find it on more mainstream uh, websites? That, that, that's the only place it can be found. I had to publish it myself, so it wasn't changed. <laughs> gotcha, okay. Okay, cool. Um, so so other, other sources um, are um, a really good book to read to help prevent cancer, even though it's not about cancer, is How to Be an Adult by David Rico. And that book is really beneficial because it teaches how to be an adult. And uh, oftentimes, like, we're, we're, the, a, lot of, a lot of the wisdom and the, and the, the ways to become adult these, these sort of upbringings are lost today because most people spend the first 15 years, years of their life in school, not actually being parented, but being educated. And so we're missing, we're missing out on like real important upbringings. Uh, so this book is super valuable, How to Be an Adult by David Rico. That'll help preventing cancer. Um, what are some other ones that I would suggest? Uh, of course, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy by Paul Check, And a particularly good one, if you, the, one of the best books on, on psychology and emotional uh, uh, wounding and emotional trauma is uh, called The Primal Scream. And that's by Arthur Genove. And Genove is J-A-N-O-V. That book will blow your mind because that book gets right down to the root cause, like the most important aspect of healing from basically any disease. And of course, this psychologist was shunned and not, you know, praised by the media and probably labeled as a quack and all of that because most of the real doctors and real scientists that have really accomplished um, real value, valuable work are, are labeled as quacks because it you know threatens the existing system oftentimes. Um, those are some, those are four, four very valuable books. Those, those books are part of my co-requisite uh, books for my courses. So I have a course on cancer prevention, how to, pre it's, it's cancer prevention coach, because what I realized is I, I'm never gonna actually help end cancer or accomplish any significant real paradigm shift in the world of cancer, which is my, which is what my dream is, just helping people one-on-one -on -one with cancer. So now I'm actually teaching people, training people in the depths of this, how to really truly prevent it, how to understand all the types of cancers and what's what's related to it. So if anyone's interested in that, please send me an email and sign up for one of my courses because that's uh, super valuable. Right. Um, my my email is paul at wheeloflife.ca. Yeah, we'll include all that in the description section to make it easy for the listener too. They could just kind of click on those links. Have you ever uh, have you ever been kind of criticized or called out? I know for my second book, I've been kind of criticized for a few of the things which seem like common sense to me. But have you have you ever been 
kind of called out for anything or criticized for any of your work? Uh, not yet, luckily. Uh, not not yet. Um, I basically just don't. I just kind of did a prayer many years ago and said, you know what? If I'm going to be doing this kind of work, then I just want to line up with the people that are ready for this. You know, the people that are ready to learn the truth about cancer and and really become aware. Um, and those souls that aren't ready and that's their freedom, you know. So somehow I've I've been fairly, you know, lucky with that. Yeah, no, no criticism yet. I've had people compare my work to um, Dr. Hammer, and he he's he's an amazing doctor who's done tons of work on cancer, and he's right on the ball with most of most of his work in cancer. Um, he's the founder of him. I just discovered him a couple of years ago and he's fantastic, but he's still not the same teachings as mine. There's some really key differences. Um, my teachings I think are essential for preventing cancer, especially, um, for example, in, 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 in what I'm explaining about cancer, I'm explaining that it's a, a part of a survival response that the body goes into. But Dr. Hamer talks about how it's a healing response and it's a critical difference because if you think it's a healing response, that will help in some instances, but not all of them. Uh, it's really important to understand it's a survival response because if you're in a stressful relationship, for example, and then you get cancer and you think it's a healing response, but you don't get out of the stressful relationship scenario, that cancer won't go away. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So you're kind of saying like the, basically in short, the root cause is kind of some emotional bondage plus like chronic low grade or high grade chronic stress uh, yeah. combined. That's like a potent mechanism for, yeah. for cancer cells to start for me. So, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't wish to say anything negative about Dr. Hamer because the guy's amazing. He's the one of, he was the only, there's only one other person that I've ever discovered that I really resonate with in most ways. And so one is Dr. Hamer, another is um, Leonard Caldwell. His work on cancer is fantastic too, but again, there's there's some differences between him and I. So those are two other resources too, uh, that people can research about cancer. Um, gotcha. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for, oh, I'm even down to do another show with you in the future. Thanks for being on this one. I may be even gonna try to, uh go to norway at the end of the year so it'd be cool to maybe if i'm around switzerland to even meet up with you and hang out one of these days so well that'd be fantastic sure yeah yeah cool. let me know if you're in, in in this part of the world well do you have any closing statements that you kind of want to leave off with or include that you feel we didn't cover um i think i think i guess what i would want to say is it seems like we're in one of the most important times in human history. Like, I don't know, this is, this has gotta be one of the first times in history where the entire world is being affected by the same thing. All nations are connected to be beautiful is if this turn, this challenge actually motivates people to really start making positive changes in this world rather than you know this this pandemic uniting the whole world 
in this massive focus on vaccination. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. like, imagine if we were all together focused on health, uh, we, the world would change dramatically for the better. So I, I just really encourage, you know, people to really start entering the journey of change if change is needed and really starting to live a life that that really hasn't like every single person matters to really have a positive impact on humanity we, we all matter so much so that's that's uh one last thing i'd like to point out we, we have an opportunity here to really start creating you know some people call it the great awakening right the great awakening where people really start to wake up and start changing things in their own lives, which contributes to the whole. Cool. Well, thank you again, Paul. It was great to great to meet you and great to chat with you today. You're welcome, Eugene. Thanks for uh, connecting with me. It was great. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you've ever had trouble losing weight or you've lost weight, but still didn't have the ideal body or health you're aiming for, please feel free to reach out anytime and book an assessment. Eugene will work with you to cover your goals in detail, see what's holding you back, and go from there. In the meantime, feel free to check out the countless testimonials on Eugene's website in the link below. In the testimonial section you'll notice everyone has various backgrounds, are of all different ages, and all have had different challenges in their life, but they all have one thing in common, they were all able to find their health, and achieve their ideal body. You're also welcome to add yourself to the Facebook group in the link below. There you'll have access to the live videos that Eugene does weekly on Sundays and other helpful content. Thank you again for tuning in.